IT Pro TV, an easy, entertaining approach to online IT training. Stream over 2,000 hours of up-to-date, high-quality video content live and on demand. For a free 7-day trial and for a limited time, get 50% off a monthly membership for the lifetime of your active subscription. Visit itpro.tv forward slash startup security and use the code SS50. Gain control of cyber risk with Tenable IO, the first vulnerability management platform built for today's elastic assets like cloud, containers, and web apps. Discover a fresh, asset-based approach that prioritizes vulnerabilities while seamlessly integrating into your environment. And improve ROI with the first elastic licensing approach based on assets, not IP addresses. Tenable IO delivers the data and context you need to secure your elastic attack surface. Start your free Tenable IO trial today by visiting tenable.io. Welcome back, everyone, to Startup Security Weekly. Michael and I are getting ready to go to a conference next week. And speaking of conferences, we'll be at even more conferences. We'll be at B-Sides Boston and we'll be at Source Boston, which is the 10th anniversary, being held on April 24th and through through the 25th for training and 26th and 27th for conference talks. Uh, events will take place in Boston at the Courtyard Marriott downtown. Security Week listeners get a $100 discount on either training or the conference using the code Security Weekly. Fantastic trainings that are happening. Make sure you go check those out. Like the dude that did all the research for, like, led the research for C secure coding is teaching a class on C secure coding. Like, that's how they roll. Um, so make sure you look at those training courses because they're really good. And um, <clears throat> we'll be there doing hack and movie trivia. Hopefully, we'll have the, our glasses by then. Did I tell you what these glasses we're getting, Michael? No, I'm so interested though. We're printing up like shot glasses, rocks glasses, pint glasses. They have our logo on them. And then on the other side is a hacker movie quote, like too many secrets or hack the planet. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So, so are, you, are you having them etched or are they uh, like uh, we're printing? Applique? Yeah, we're printing right on the glass. Like uh, it's not a full color yet. I can actually do a couple of colors and just put it on there. So that's what we're doing. It's going to be cool. But they're not going to be ready for Orlando. They will not be ready for Orlando, unfortunately. I didn't have the idea until it was too late. <laughs> it's okay, though. It's a, it's a good idea. We're going to have to do it again. Um, yeah, and, you know, just to throw the pitch in, so we've got the, the leadership workshop is on Sunday, and I've actually, off of the last couple of weeks, I've recalibrated. I'm really looking forward to this. This is going to be a good hands-on thing, and apparently we've got a good turnout. But I'm also, I agreed to do office hours. So I've got office hours on Tuesday, uh, first come, first serve, 50-minute slots for about two hours or so. So if anybody wants to chat with me about leadership, communication, whatever, um, I'll be there and I'll be available. And then if I'm not there, I'm going to try to come hang out in the booth and chat with people and do trivia and stuff like that. And then we've got a leadership panel. We're closing out the conference on Wednesday with a, uh, a good discussion about what happens when you get thrust into the leadership position. So it's we've got some folks that have been through it. They're going to share some of their experiences and, and try to ease the transition for everybody else. So I think it's going to be a fun conference. I'm it is. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having you in the booth playing Hacker Trivia, movie trivia yeah, be with fun. you. And we've got, uh, if our TV gets there on time, I've got, I built a Raspberry Pi that plays random Hacker movie clips. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's pretty fun. So we'll hopefully have that in our booth. Uh, we had like all these ideas at like the last minute, so we're kind of scrambling to get it all together. But we'll definitely have that at uh, B sides, and we'll definitely have that at Source Boston. And 
we're planning on DEFCON, maybe DerbyCon, and some other conferences throughout the year to, to do this. And it's just, it's a lot of fun, and it's great to, to talk with people and do something interactive and, and engaging. I don't know if that speaks to, like, the startup mindset, right, Michael? And, and I think it how does, you, yeah. And how you market and how you build your startup, right? I mean, because you can go to a conference and, like, sell hack naked t-shirts like we did or just give stuff out. You know, I, I think it's it's really cool that we're able to do this thing where we actually interact with people and, and, and talk with them. So, And it's funny, for the startup, for my startup offensive countermeasures, I was just talking to, like, random people and they would come by. I wasn't even trying to sell them anything. Yep. And, it, like, yep. people are like, hey, can we talk about, like, offensive countermeasures? I'm like, I didn't even say the word <laughs> offensive yep. countermeasures. But they had known about it through marketing. And since I was there, they're like, hey, we should talk. And I thought that was really cool and, and good advice for startups and how to do yeah, some of that marketing it, at first. Yeah, right. And, and what's, what I think is interesting about it is, is you're carving that fine line between over-the-top hype, drawing attention, uh, look at all this stuff I've got to just drag you in, and I'm just going to try to get your lead and hammer you with it. You're like, no, we're real people. Come by the booth. Let's play some games. Let's talk a little bit. There's right. some stuff we can do. And, and that's good for us uh, on the show. It's good for the community. It's, it's, it's just, you know, human, so it's kind of cool. But then people realize that, and they say, well, hold on. You guys are doing these other things. Let's talk about those, too. Cool. And, and I'll tell you, one of the things that usually happens to me in that situation is I'm like, oh, huh, I wasn't really ready to talk about that. Like, so, so just know if you're in that mode, mm. you should have right, – I hate the, the hackneyed approach of an elevator pitch, but you should at least be able to bluntly pre-qualify somebody. So you should be able to say, cool, so I try to solve X, Y, Z problems. Tell me more about what's going on in your world. Let's see if it's fit. And if it is, I'd be happy to schedule time to follow up with you. And right. so that you can learn enough to to determine where to take them or whatever. And then you can probably impart some piece of value. I feel like I should pause here and like take some notes for myself. So I'll just have to, <laughs> I'll have to play this back. Like, that's awesome. That's a, that's a uh, good idea. Also, I, I should uh, do that. Also in the booth, we've been known to have bourbon. Which I find really helps. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> loosen you know, the conversation and attract people to the booth. Like, hey, just come by. Like, have a glass of bourbon with us, and yeah. just sit down. And it's funny. We uh, I interviewed Mark uh, Arnold uh, from Optiv. He gave a keynote, and he was hammered with questions. And like, I sat him down. And I'm like, dude, the mics aren't on the cameras. I'm just have some bourbon, decompress for five minutes. Let's just talk about like non-security stuff for a little while <laughs> it was, so it's it's so much fun doing that and hanging out with people so no I, th I think it's fantastic i think it's really good all right well here's some of the stories put together for the week um the first <laughs> one was about how i learned to hire people remotely here's why i put it in uh, i think when you run a startup and you're trying to find the right team and the right talent more often than not we're going to be building re remote teams or at least teams that can operate remotely the other part to it, though, is, is uh, look, I, it's clear to me that this concept of a security shortage is a myth or it's it's of our own making. And so it will it will resolve itself out. But I see a lot of people say, well, I, I can't hire anybody remotely. Of course you can. That's that's of course you can. And so I thought, you know, this is an interesting way of taking a look at it. And so it was talking about, you know, there's a lot of startups and the teams have never met. By the way, if you're that startup, definitely put some budget together to get yeah, your folks together. I agree. It's, uh, it's a fantastic way to do stuff. But here's the thing that I loved the best. Uh, and this is going to be kind of interesting because it, it, there's, well, there's three points. I think most people, if they go check these points out and they've been listening to me, they know which one they think I'm going to like the best. Uh, it's not. Which will actually, I'll tell you, what, which one do you think it is out of the three? Ask for several samples and a demo. Be very specific in your job description or insist on a trial period. Which of those three do you think is the one I like the best? Uh, I think because it ties into communication, be very specific in a job description. 
That's what I think everybody would say. Um, I think it's a trial period. Really? Here's why. Interesting. Yeah, here's here's why. I, I wrote something years ago. In fact, I wrote this for an Andrew Hay book, um, and so I need to go like find it and revamp it. But basically, the idea is we know what we know, and we don't know what we don't know until we present what we know. So so basically, it's kind of like, oh, I want to go write a policy, or I want to go write an RFP, or I want to go write something. So you have this concept in your head. So I, I think I know what the job spec looks like, so I'm going to go write it up. And I'm going to try to be really specific with it. Yeah, there's going to come a point of diminishing returns where you, you, you're doing the best that you can. And so I think that's very valuable. And I actually, by the way, think that's why we have such a hiring shortage. Mm-hmm. We, we don't know what we're looking for. We, we, we don't know how to uh, evaluate it. And so, yes, that definitely plays to what I'm doing. But what I found is the trial period is so much more important. And I, I find six months. Six months temp to hire is the way I always like to look at it. Hmm. Um, now, consult with your HR or your legal team on this because it, there are different rules and there's different ways to structure it. So th- this is not legal advice. This is me talking practically. Mm-hmm. I want to work with somebody long enough to get a sense of their patterns. I want to get a sense of their output. I want to get a sense of how they work. But also... Whatever I thought I structured for the position, sometimes I'm not right. Or they're a great fit, but not for that position. And so I I like, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's a key step, but I actually like the trial period better. This is, that's how you get to know it's so timely because I'm considering hiring a a remote employee, which for me personally, uh, I think it depends on the role. And I say personally because I've worked remotely for companies and I've had people working remotely for me. And I think it really, it, well, it depends on the person, but I think the role has to be yep. suited for that. And I think I, as I move forward, I discovered that certain roles either have to or just are better suited to be here personally. Um, I agree. And other roles are, are better for remote. So I think it's, you know, it's a combination of those two things if you're making the decision as to whether or not to take on remote employees or not. Yeah. And what you're pointing out, which I think is worth mentioning then is that some of this too is the experience in your part. I I have worked with teams that are all virtual and and they are fantastic. And I've worked with teams that nobody's virtual and they are fantastic. And I've worked with teams that are some hybrid of it. They're also fantastic. Now it sounds like I only work with fantastic teams and trust me, that's always my goal. But what I'm pointing out is that, yeah, you, you can do it. What you're explaining is you've got to get some experience to get a better understanding of the role and a better understanding of, of your culture and how your company operates to figure out if that person fits and fits in that role and can fit in that role remotely. And I, I so anyway, I thought it was kind of interesting uh, to put this out and, uh, and to work with people, figure it out as you go. Cool. What else we got? Well, I put up a couple that I thought were interesting. So, so this was behind, uh, when your processes fail, the hard truth behind the fluff. Now, I spend a lot of time looking at this around friction. Um, and what I find is a lot of the friction starts at what I call the personal layer, not level, layer. Uh, and I, I'm starting to, in fact, I think I'm going to dub that trans, uh, translational friction. We can go into that some other time more, uh, and I'm always happy to talk about that. Here's why this matters. When we have translational friction, we have individual level friction, it's often because we're unique. We started in different places. We have different experiences. We have different ways of doing things. And if we don't understand how to reconcile our uniqueness with other people, if I don't understand how to translate what I know into what you understand and vice versa, then we start to get frustrated. And sometimes the way we deal with that frustration is we say, oh, well, I know. I'm going to put in a process. And so what, what this is talking about is, yeah, you have processes. And some of your processes uh, work and some of them fail. And here we're going to tell you why. And what they boil it down to is if you have good people with bad processes – 
Uh, it might uh, let's see. Good process plus bad people people equals crappy outcome. Now I want um, a burrito. Wow. Yeah. Right. <laughs> good process. Good process plus good people equals great outcome. And and so what it's basically saying is, hey, if you're a startup, or I would even add here, if you're a team, you you need to go make sure that your processes are working. What this sidesteps. And, and what, frankly, most people sidestep is where do bad processes come from? And it's typically they're, they're, they're it's what I call process friction. They're born from, I know how to fix this for me. And, and so somebody goes and they slam a process in because it made sense to them at the time to solve the problem that they're trying to face. If you go unpacking, you say, well, did you understand the problem you're trying to solve? No. Did you have a broader view of the problem? Well, not really. Were people ready for you to solve that problem yet? Dude, why are you even asking me these questions? No. And so that's where these processes fail. So I thought it was interesting because um, a lot of what I do now comes up against these bad processes, which is why I threw in this other article. Well, it's, uh, it's I, funny. I think it's funny they use Chipotle as an example. I don't think they mentioned the issue they had in, in a store in Massachusetts yeah. where everyone got sick. It, but it speaks to exactly what they're talking about. Like someone obviously didn't follow up a, a process or made up their own process. And uh, the results were pretty devastating. I, I think it hurt Chipotle. I don't know that it still hurts them today. I think it hurt them. They've had a ton of problems. They've they've had a lot of process related problems. Mm. You know, and that's the thing. So it's so what I like about this article, why I thought it was worth including, is it, it it there's a certain level that says, did you hire the right people? Do they follow the process? And then there's a certain level that says, do you have a good process? What I'm pointing out is sometimes it's it's something extraneous to that. You can have good people with good processes that work for some of the people, but not all of the people. And at some level, you need to kind of pull all the pieces together and figure it out. So that's what I was pointing at. Now, what I think is interesting that Hootsuite's doing is they they dubbed a czar, a, a czar of bad systems. But I thought this was really kind of interesting. In fact, this was the phrasing uh, that I absolutely loved it. The, the problem is that bad systems often end up in a kind of corporate Bermuda triangle. No one really monitors them, and worse still, no one's empowered to change them when you need to. So I tried to fix that, and I thought that was a really interesting approach. In fact, I, you know, I, I, it feels more like it's a collateral, a collateral duty. Like this is not your primary goal. But I love the idea of being a leader in an organization or on your team or in your startup and say, okay, a, we need processes, and b, we might not always get them right. So somebody needs to go in and have an objective way to look at them, and if they're broken, fix them. And if they need to be terminated, terminate them. And it maybe even identify new places. So I'm taking it a little bit further than just the way this was going. But I think it's a good point. I mean, people need to be able to say, this process doesn't work for me. Cool. Fix it. Do something with it. In fact, I used to do this. Uh, this is reminding me. I used to always propose one of the first things, if I, back in the day, I didn't do security policy anymore. But when I used to, one of the things I would do, one of the first policies I would create is, is uh, the, the updating policy. And what I would basically say is, if you disagree with any of the stuff here, you can update it. Here's the process. That didn't mean anybody's going to update it. What it meant was, I, I didn't. It wasn't my way or the highway. I always made sure there was an opportunity for you to voice your concern, and looking back at it, give people a structure to say, "Tell us what's broken, or tell us what you'd like better, or tell us where it doesn't work." And now that I'm, you know, headlong into straight talk, I could totally engineer a process now for people very easily to say here's why this doesn't work for me and here's what we missed and here's what we could do about it. And boom, it would, it would be better. So the, the theme that we're kind of working on is, is process, but it's, it's Oh, I thought it was burritos. Sorry. It, it starts with burritos and then, and then we'll, we go through, no, we're not going to go through that process. Sorry. It doesn't take much to distract me. 
with burritos. <laughs> burritos and bourbon. It's all That's good. it. It's all downhill from there. <laughs> um so where are we going next? Uh, let's um, well let's let's go to the uh, to the no business is bulletproof. So the idea here uh, that I pulled in on uh, that I liked uh, is it says okay, uh, companies are all about the people and we, and we know it's about the people. Yeah. So here's what it's talking about though is that there's a, there's a priority of what we're able to do and especially in a startup community. But again, I, I can see this working just as well if you are leading a security team right now. There's a set of pressures. Somebody wrote you a check. Somebody's invested in what you're doing, and you need to make sure that you're justifying your decisions to them and, and that you are being a good steward of that investment and you're getting the result that, that they expect. At the same time, you're providing a service or a product to customers. And I, ideally, your value prop has isolated and defined a problem that they'd like to solve in a way that you're able to contribute value to them. Boom. Everybody wins. So what this is starting to point out, though, is that sometimes there's a conflict between what investors or people that have controlled the budget think versus what the customers think. And how do you resolve that? And what they're saying is, look, there's no perfect way to do this. You've got to figure out where investors rank into your priority stack and or, I would argue, how to better communicate with them as they go through it. I think it's kind of interesting, this article, Michael, where it talks about people date for a limited period of time. And you have a dating app, like when it's successful, people stop using your app. I don't know if there's an analogy into security. I don't think so. Because we, we, um, it seems like we always need more insights into what's happening. Well, I, I think that we always need more insights. I, here's the flip side, though, right? When, when do people go to the dating app? When, when they're interested in finding a date. Okay, well, when would people go to a security app? Or when would they come to the security team? And then, and then if you realize that they're using it more drive-by and opportunistically... Either can you recalibrate your business or your solution around that, or does that then mean that you need to engage in a different business model? You know, the thing that we didn't really get into with Ira that, that's always interesting to me is, let me put it this way. I've always been fascinated when somebody says to me, how long should security awareness last? Mm. Um, let's sidestep for a second the, the definitions of training versus awareness versus development. Here's what I typically find. If somebody learns the new skill and they've exhibited it properly, the answer, it's not, you know, it's a light switch. It's, it's not a dial. It's not a timer. There's, there's some level to it. So I think, I think what's interesting about this is how do you figure out how this works? And so what they're saying in this case is, okay, we solved it. We solved that problem. It's bulletproof. bulletproof. We're going to give them a way to communicate. And they go, yeah, no, that's, that's not really it. That's, you know, and, and people aren't going to pay for it. Okay. All right. We're going to solve that problem. And so the, I think the thing that I'm looking at here that I thought was interesting was, yeah, there isn't a bulletproof way to do it. What I find, again, you know, in coming out of a straight talk workshop this week, you've got to bring people together and give them a voice in the process. And it might mean helping investors better understand the way that your customer base is operating. But by the way, do you know how your customers are operating? Because there's a third dimension in this that I think is kind of interesting. And Paul, you and I probably get caught up in this as well. We spend a lot of time looking at what we're doing. And, and we maybe are in touch with our customers and, and our investors or our backers or whatever. So we think we've got it all mapped out and figured out. But, you know, we, we're running down that rabbit hole, too, and we get excited. And we're pulling it on the threads. And you go back to the customers, and they're like, yeah, I, what the hell are you talking about, dude? That's, that's neat. That's not my problem. And you're like, oh. So, you know, the, the big takeaway here for me is, yeah, there's nothing bulletproof. Go back to the things you and I keep talking about. Can you sell what you do to somebody else? 
we're always in sales. I, you know, it's, it's, I think I've mentioned this before, but my, my son is getting ready for high school. And uh, so he's been talking to me about STEM stuff a lot. And I, so I'm a big proponent of STEAM. You put the A back in, A is the arts. Arts is empathy. Empathy is a, uh, it's the, your pathway to leadership, especially at that younger age. But what I said to him was, you know, especially given what I do for a living, I said, you know, son, uh, his name is the same as mine. I said, um, I want you to understand some of the fundamental concepts of leadership and communication. And frankly, if you've studied anything, go study sales. If you can learn how to sell yourself, sell an idea, sell a concept, and you understand the fundamentals of how to translate something that you understand into something that somebody else understands, or vice versa, you're set. You, STEM, you can pick up. There's all sorts of things you can do later, but those skills are always going to be in, in demand. I think the same thing applies here. So if you're in a startup, investors are going to have ideas and experience, and they're awesome. And your clients are going to have ideas and experience, and they're awesome. And Paul and I ask people all the time, how do you reconcile 10 different customers that want 10 different things? How do you prioritize that type of stuff? Just remember, too, you've got to throw yourself into the mix. And at some level, you've got to be able to sort out all those different things, prioritize it, but then go back and make sure everybody understands what you're doing. And they may not always be happy. And that's okay. But that's kind of that was my big takeaway. Mm. No, I agree. I don't think I have anything else to add. It was it was very good. Diet trying di- to diatribe something like that. I I was monologuing. Segway. I, I saw the Incredibles. Monolo- I was monologuing. Monologuing. It's you. You monologuing. got me monologue. You got me monologuing. <laughs> so um so this other one I put in. It, it's a really long title. I'm not loving the title, but how we reverse the 300k month burn and hit profitability without laying off a single employee. What what actually drew me to this was it was talking about the fact that there seems to be this disconnect. But um, in fact, this is it's the top highlight and it's what pulled me into it. I also know firsthand that focusing on profitability and sustainability is hard, especially in a landscape that incentivizes capital inefficiency. So what this means is, and again, you and I have talked about this a lot, which is why I want to put it in. A lot of people say, no, 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 have a good idea, get some traction, it doesn't really matter, everything's going to be good, you, money, don't worry about making money, man, it's good, we, we, you get the valuation up and it's all going to work out. And, uh, and that does exist. So what's interesting that we're able to do with this show is we're starting to realize that you have different centers of investment and different philosophies of investment, and I'm going to pause it maybe a little too soon, but I'm okay with it because we'll, we'll keep working on it. I think security is even changing. So the way that companies invest in security, we're seeing a lot of security-focused funds pop up. We're seeing a lot of people that you and I have known for years and respect that have been very successful that are now giving back, and they are setting up their funds and investing and advising. And so what I'm going to be curious to track then is to say, does the philosophy of investing in security matter whether you're in the D.C. area, in the Boston area, in the Austin area, in the Silicon Valley area, or extraneous that completely outside of that and now we're starting to see some of the european activity uh come up and bubble up and in and, uh, and the israeli activity which tends largely to be tied still to the u.s but so there, there's some interesting subcurrents in there that i'm i'm actually trying to wrap my head around here's the thing though that i'm noticing more and more it does come down to profitability even when i'm talking to the investors it doesn't matter their range when i say what are you looking for so if somebody's going to exit that seed stage and they're going to get to their a b rounds do they need to be profitable? And sometimes they'll say, look, I'm not worried yet about profitability, but they do need to be making money. It can't just be, we've got proof of pilots, we have proof of concepts, we've got, we've got people who said yes. It's kind of like, oh, so 
it's now a complete show. When we bring up Shark Tank and somebody says, okay, well, do you have any orders? Well, I've got a, I've got a, a standing PO. Have you filled it yet? Well, no, not yet. Or have they reordered from you yet? Um, no. Right. And, and so those questions. So what we're finding is investors in security are now looking for you to have gotten attraction so that you have a client or more that is paying you actual money. It doesn't have to be your market value because there's probably a benefit early on for working with you, but they're, but they're parting with actual capital for you to solve the problem that they have. And they're willing to serve as a ref, referenceable client. And it's kind of like if you go back to that post we talked about a couple episodes ago, can you go sell what you do for $1,000 or whatever the appropriate is? But like, can you sell a service or a product to somebody for $1,000? Can you do that every month? Then can you increase it to 10? Then can you increase it to 10 people? Then, right? And so whatever. I, this was my big takeaway from this was, yeah, you know what? Go figure out what's important to your business. And, and you can still get valuations. But if you start realizing that Good valuations are going to come from understanding, do you have product market fit? Do you have a good team? Are you guys able to scale massively? So I, I spend a lot of time obviously looking at friction. And I've got some new stuff. And Paul, I'm actually looking forward to sitting down with you next week and being able to talk about it. But one of the things I started to realize is that right at this, what I call this translational friction angle, right? So taking something I know, translating it into something that you understand, what most people do is they start that, they get a little bit of friction and their first instinct is mash the pedal down and go harder. And that just often gives you more friction, not less. Mm -hmm. So if you think about this from a startup perspective, if you've got that kind of friction and you haven't worked it out, so uh, it typically manifests itself this way. How many calls does it take, and you don't have to answer it, but how many calls does it take before somebody says, oh, I like that, we should try that out? If you go talk to a lot of startups in that early hunter-gatherer mode, yeah, it might be three, four, or five calls. Okay, so now you've done the same thing, right? Go talk to the investors. How many rounds does it take to talk to the investors to get squared away? Yeah, two, three, four rounds before they start to see that there's something there. Okay. So what we're not saying is, wow, you're incurring massive amounts of friction, but you're persisting and you're getting through. Well, now you've taken on that funding and that funding is like that pushing on that gas pedal. You're, you're rearing up the engine and they want to go and you've got to scale massively. Well, you've got a shit ton of friction at a lot of these different points. And all you're going to do is push harder, which is going to ultimately create more friction, which is what this is saying in a slightly different way, right? I'm using my language and my way to take a look at it. So what they're basically saying is, hey, you know what? We decided profitability was important. And we, we read everybody into it. And, and we were kind of transparent about that as a company so that people could understand the burn rate. They could understand the decisions we were making. And by doing that, we didn't waste money. We prioritized things that were good for us as a company and that were good for our customers. And hey, look, we were able to do it. So I think it's a good, I think it's a good strategy. Personally. I think one of the, the turning points for me is when you're an early, early stage startup and you try and get an understanding of your cost and your price, and which ultimately will define your profitability, right? And yep. you give discounts or you work with early customers that aren't at that price point yet. There's like this transition period uh, or, or point which you reach where you're like, okay, I think the value of our product is this. And I think people will pay this amount for that value. And you don't know if that's going to be successful until you can prove that you can sell it at that yep. price and offer your customers 
hopefully what is that level of value that you defined when you defined your company, right? Uh, or your product. Yeah, I, and let's look at it in your case, right? I mean, you're, in fact, um, that book, Play Bigger, you and I, we'll talk about it next week. Mm. I mean, you're essentially, you're operating in a fairly new category. And and so you now have to either help people understand that, that you can solve that problem and or uh, otherwise look to position yourself as as the de facto uh, choice in that in that particular space. So when you're doing that initially, you know one of the things I like to do a lot is I just ask somebody, "What do you think it's worth? Like, what do you think you're willing to pay for it? And how would we assess that?" And then and then they invariably and what's what I'm finding in my own experience is they're validating where I think it should be. And and then they say, "Okay, but look, here's the thing, Michael. I don't really have that much budget right now. Here's what I do have." Can we make something work? And in the short run, yeah, because it's good for me. It's good for them. They're going to be a testimonial uh, or a referenceable client. It's a good win. And so that's, and that's speaking to your point, Paul. Like there's you, and that's why I said the, the VC aren't the investors I've been working with. They're not terribly concerned short run of uh, you know what we would call in the in the speaking world fee integrity. Uh, in the speaking world, fee integrity says if you say it's it's five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars for a keynote. Well, you can't charge a thousand here and twelve thousand here and three thousand here. Like you, you got to be pretty consistent to to the value that you're able to provide somebody else. And it, it's the same thing that we're talking about here. Is there a fee integrity to it? Yeah. What this is saying is your product market fit and your focus on profitability is better. And what I'm finding is this is a fantastic sorting and prioritization function, right? Because it's talking about it's minimizing scope deep, scope creep. It's changing the way we were thinking about stuff. People started to understand other departments. And, and it, so if you can do this in a way that brings people together and they're looking at dollars and cents and they start saying, hold on, right? And this is a value question, right? If I spend a dollar on doing this, is that the best use of this dollar? And you don't have one dollar. You've got ten, or you've got a hundred, or you've got a million of them. And so the question is, what's the right allocation of the dollars? If if you can move everybody from contending and fighting and contesting for it, and instead looking at here's where we want to get as a company, how do we work together to get there? Um, then I think that you end up doing a lot better. So in the short run, yes, you're going to work with the clients that are working with you, and that's going to show you good product market fit. Good product market fit, as long as you're thinking about value, is going to reveal where your pricing and investment strategy needs to be. And it'll take time. And if you go look at it and you start, and I'm starting to work on a series actually to explain a lot of the differences in the stages and the risks between seed stage and EBD stage and growth stage. I mean, you might have two or three years before you've really got to get that right. Which then, uh, to me, underscores the importance of this. Don't don't worry about burn. Worry about profitability. Worry about you know, are you getting these things right? Like, because what you're talking about to a certain level is unit economics. Do you have your economics down? Mm. Yeah. Uh, in an early stage, are you are you getting traction? Are you making money? Are you moving towards profitability? Are you starting to figure those things out? Awesome. But but very few savvy investors are going to say at an A round that, that your product market fit's got to be totally nailed, your team's got to be top-notch, that you've got to have a proven ability to, to you know, that your economics are set and your, your scaling is set. Yeah. They know there's still risk there. They're, they're, they're looking for the indicators you're heading on the right direction. And my instinct uh, is that this is we're going to see more of this direction going this way? By the way, I think this might be. Uh, I'll go press on this, but this could be why we're seeing some of those bigger valuations earlier on. People aren't sure of the risk, and so they're they're waiting longer to invest. They're waiting longer to ask, and so anyway, these are, these are the things that I think about. So I, I get kind of geeked out on trying to like understand the implications of uh, internal dynamics and and really starting to look at friction. And it's like one of those things for me that. 
the more I look at it, the more I figure out, the more I figure out, the more I figure out I need to go figure out. So it's, it's been kind of fun. And then we go back and we start applying it. I, I think it looks really well. So anyway, what's going what on got. in the, uh, the world of security startups, Michael, it is a slow week. It in is the world a slow I, startups. I, it's a slow week in, in security in general, for whatever reason. I don't know why. Everybody's waiting for us for next week. Um, I, I'll put some stuff out there I, I really liked. Um, CB Insights came out with the periodic table of cybersecurity startups. Um, so they, it's an overview of the key companies and investors. It's, it is not a short list. It's 140 companies. Oh, I saw this, and I haven't, um, I haven't looked at it. I can tell you, I love like, their stuff. Like um, it came by my desk, and I didn't, I didn't look at the periodic table of it, and and i'll tell you what i haven't yet figured out enough about uh cb insights to understand who's running their security desk but if if they happen to be listening or somebody knows them uh i would love to have them on the show uh, would love to talk about the stuff that they're doing i think it's fantastic and uh and i've been really enjoying it and, and looking at it so you know the good thing is um i think they break it down pretty well and by the way here's what they're talking about things that that they think are hot Multi-factor authentication because it's identity and access management. I would actually go simpler and just say uh, identity is is hot again, and mm. there's a lot of reasons for it. Cyber insurance. I mean, I've got the whole series on that. I still have not got a chance to look at the replay of the webinar. Did you guys put your webinar up? Is that up for replay? Which one? You and John did a cyber insurance webinar within the last two uh, weeks or so. I don't think that was a webinar. That was a, a ESW Enterprise Security Weekly episode. Oh, well, then it's, I thought it was a webinar. My bad. All right, good. Well, then I'll, I'll go find it, and I'll, I'll watch it. So cyber insurance is big. Uh, intelligence, anything intelligence is, is big. And obviously, we've talked about AI versus machine learning versus big data versus insert your favorite here. But so what I thought was cool was, I mean, this is putting in stuff around secure communications and, and deception stuff. And uh, so minimally, uh, I thought, hey, this is kind of interesting for us uh, because it gives us a chance to go take a look at it and maybe find some guests. If somebody else is out there, um, tell us, which of these companies would you like to hear from? If you're on the enterprise side of this, which ones would you like to hear from? If you're on the investment side of this, who do you think uh, would be interesting for us to take a look at and why? What, what, what's piquing your interest? And uh, and we'll start going after these. But anyway, I, I thought this was kind of an interesting uh, look, an interesting way to put it together, and I thought it would be uh, valuable uh, to everybody. By the way, if you're in that startup scene and you're not on this list, that just means that they didn't know about you. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times, if you're the only person in a category, that's really hard. In fact, related to that, there was an article this week. Uh, did, you, did you see Elon Musk? Or maybe it wasn't even this week. I apologize. It, it, I was reading the book Play Bigger. I might have pulled it from there. I'm a little... Um, Sketchy on where I got the details, but basically Elon Musk took all of his patents and, and said, yeah, um, we're good. Anybody else can use them. And mm. the reason was uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't serve Tesla to be the only one doing this. So they said, I'll tell you what, let's go create some competition because if we've got competition and other people doing it, then some of these other problems will solve themselves and I can still be the best. Mm. That is freaking outstanding. That's some cojones. Uh, cojones. Well, it, it's freaking brilliant is, is well, what it is. Elon I think. Musk too, so. Which is, uh, yeah, I mean, it, uh, I find a lot of stuff that he does is just worth paying attention to and, and asking questions. Akamai acquired uh, Soest, Soasta, Soasta, I don't know how to say it. I don't know um, how to say that either. What's so interesting is I saw a couple of congratulations go around this week. Um, they provide digital performance management solutions for businesses. So everybody's like, yeah, it's really cool. So here's what I looked at. Uh, now, again, Aller is great. It's crowdsourced intelligence. Um since 2006, so about over the last 11 years, Soasta has taken in $120 million in funding, 
but their their current revenue was estimated to be like at a million dollars. Now I'm guessing to be fair that Aller doesn't have that right. Every now and then we look at companies and you're like, yeah, I don't think that's right. And it, this is one of those cases where I go, yeah, that for a company that's taken on 120 million in revenue and funding apparently has a hundred uh, or so employees. seems a little odd to me that the revenue would be that low, but, but here's what I would tell you. Uh, they came in undisclosed um, and they had a four and a half million dollar equity round in December uh, following two debt rounds last year. So I'm still learning how to read these better. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're acquired and you're acquired for an undisclosed sum, that feels to me like you weren't really making it work and you just got acquired. Like it wasn't an aqua hire. It feels more strategic than that. But I just I thought it was interesting that they, they chose not to disclose it because that, that suggests to me. And, and some of you who listen and, and advise me on this quietly on the side, uh, maybe I got it wrong. And so this is part of my growth and how we're learning to put all these things together. Um, I take that as a signal as probably not uh, the exit that most of the investors are hoping for. Yeah. I would argue, by the way, that the debt rounds got paid back. <laughs> I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure the debt rounds were made whole. It's, yeah. Uh, the yeah. O- and the I, other can't, stuff. I can't imagine the revenue numbers being... Yeah, it feels a little low. That feels low. That, that, that feels more like um, people don't actually know. Like, nobody really weighed in on it. I'm sure yeah. it was much higher than that because that number is way too low. But I just, you know, like, it, there's nothing wrong with saying, with celebrating when somebody gets acquired. It's it's an exit, and, and if the business continues and people are happy and they're gainfully employed, that's fantastic. What I'm trying to learn to do is to discern this better. What I've learned is, uh, and, and this is one of the things, Paul, we've set out to do with this program, there's a language on the investment side. And as we're learning, it's a little different in the different regions of the country. So I'm, I'm doing the best I can to understand it better and better. Well, there's also then, um, when we look at the, the M&A side, especially if you look at the corporate investment and the Fortune 500 setting up their stuff and pulling it together, that's all new too. And, and there's a lot of lessons to learn there. Then we go into the startup community and we've got a lot of really smart friends and really smart people in this industry that are for the first time learning about things like uh, running a company and moving into a leadership position and going through all these things. And then we still have the buyers. And, and those are our friends that are in the in the industry. They're in the enterprise security space, which I know you cater to with Enterprise Security Weekly. But also, they're looking at, well, who are the startups that are out there and what are the solutions that are out there? And I'd like to think and I hope you're also looking at this in terms of either your own side hustle, your, your future aspirations, or how can you run your team better inside your organization? Because the more I work with all of these groups, the more I realize hey, we're all solving the same problems. And that's really kind of cool. So we'll, we'll keep taking a look at it. And, um, and that's how we all get a little bit better as we look at it. The only other thing I didn't add into it was um, got the update yesterday that uh, Dropbox did a $600 million debt round. Um, right. So it's essentially like a line of credit. And uh, the, there was a story that just came out today uh, that basically said they think this is what gives them the flexibility they need to explore an IPO as soon as this year. Hmm. And if you go look at how much money, I mean, they did like a $500 million debt round last year. So they're, like, they're swimming in money. Because you know, keep in mind, too, there comes a point where you just can't keep raising rounds. I mean, like you, you've raised rounds. You've got a huge valuation. Um, but I mean, think, think about the negotiations to get a $600 million line of credit. That's, that's yeah, not well, small. They, they probably didn't want to give up the equity to get another round. You reach a point where you just can't give up any more equity. 
And I also think you reach a point where somebody's not willing to do that. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is like the Mr. Wonderful moment. I'll give you the six hundred million dollars, and my money's going to be the first out, and you're going to give me three uh, percent on the spread. Yeah. And yeah, well, okay, three percent on six hundred million. You know, and by the way, I don't have no idea what those terms. And some were, some royalty for me, for some sales for a lifetime or something, right? Well, I mean, if it's Mr. Wonderful involved, you know, yeah. there's a royalty coming at it, and that's oh, yeah. I think that's okay. So I just I thought that, that was interesting. I mean, you know, it's um I've I've gotten a couple compliments this week uh, from people who watch the show and they've thanked us, Paul, for um, raising some thoughts and giving us some, some insights on that. So let me just say thank you because that's letting me know that investing the time to understand this and I'm going to start writing about it more now is is really helpful. But I made the comment last week, Paul. I mean, you know, we're what 33 episodes. Man, how much we've learned in the last year is is exciting. Like it's staggering and it's, it's overwhelming how much I've learned. <laughs> when I when I talk to John, I'm like I I I'm struggling with where to begin, dude. I'm like I learned so much stuff uh, so far in stardom and I'm still learning, which is just fantastic. Well, and I, and I think that, I think that's part of the phase, right? Like it's what I've always said to people is I've got a knack for translation, but a lot of times before I can simplify it, I've got to complexify it. Once it's complexified too much, then you're like, all right, there's got to be a better way. We're somewhere between it. I think the two of us, I mean, I, I, I love working with you on this stuff. So it's, oh, I, it's, I think it's we have good fun. conversations. We've had great guests, um, and uh, we're going to continue some good stuff coming up next week. And we've That's got the some, big pretty, thing for me. some pretty cool uh, guests talking about our own journey on the show. Um, there are some startups we're reaching out to uh, that I just want to bring them on for an interview. Um, Really, just to uh, to talk with them about what they do, how they got started, and, and share that with the the rest of the community. Um, so we're kind of doing that, like almost like pro bono, Michael, right? Because I want people to have a good experience on the show, both Absolutely. the guests and the listeners and us. So uh, hopefully, we can grow relationships with a lot of these uh, companies that are coming on the show. Uh, so I'm very much looking forward to that, uh, and it's just it's pretty cool to just be able to bring people on and. They all have a slightly different story, you know, and you learn something yeah. new from each one of uh, our guests, which is awesome. Well, and one of the things we've learned recently, too, and, and I think it's going to help. Um, so like we had Justin Foster on at the beginning of the year, and and that episode has done very well. A lot of a lot of good compliments from that. Uh, so I've went out and um, I've got some other things that are like that. So it's stuff that we need in this in the startup world. It's even stuff we need in the security world. And I found some CEOs of those startups that are willing to come on the show and talk to us and some other folks that cover it. So I've got a couple of people that, uh, that we're going to work with that are, we're going to get on the show, too, to also broaden out how we look at things. And I, I'm excited about that, too. Well, so and it's interesting. It's I, I put that post on Facebook, and it's amazing how many in the security community now have their own startups, um, which is one of the yeah. reasons why we created this show. So. I like how we're able to bring different guests, uh, you know, into the fold. So. Yep. Yep. In fact, we need somebody who can do accounting. Actually, I think that's one of the areas we'd like to talk about. Like, I like, like, I got somebody from a CRM. I'd like to talk to somebody from accounting. I'd like to talk to somebody uh, from sales. I got an idea. I guess see if he's willing to do it. Uh, would love to talk to somebody uh, from a marketing perspective. I mean, I know you and I have some of this background, but I'd love to hear how somebody else looks at it and and bring some of those things forward and kind of figure it out. So I think there's a lot there. So it's exciting stuff. And uh, awesome. we'll be in Orlando next week, so it'll be, it'll be a blast. <laughs> Absolutely. Our, uh, our journey, our, our struggle in our journey uh, is really struggles. <laughs> uh, is yeah. time, John and I's time yeah, has certainly been a struggle, uh, especially this month. Uh, we just have busy schedules and conferences like InfoSec World. And uh, last week we did Secure World. Uh, you know, that takes up uh, some time. But, you know, yeah. it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. 
So it's all good. Well, it takes up time and then you go have good conversations and then you need to follow up on those conversations. You need yes. to keep the momentum going. Yes. So it's the time to prep. It's the time to get there. It's the time to be there. Then it's the follow up afterwards. Plus all the, the regular stuff that happens. You know, I'm finding that um, I'll tell you the big thing for me has been the, the concept of the value prop. It, it's a total head slap moment I, for the last decade. People have thanked me, right? I mean, you know me. We used to be communicating the value of security is what we talked about, right? It's all about value and friction and translation, all that type of stuff. And uh, I, I'm amazed at how that's come back. But here's the fascinating piece. I've been interviewing and work with a lot of CEOs in the last couple of weeks. Almost all of them are talking about the importance of the security leader understanding the value prop of their team and the value prop that, that they're bringing to the organization by taking on these different projects. And it's been it's been really interesting. And so one of the things I think I'm going to start working on is um, like a value prop audit. So if you got a project, um, let's go take a look at it. Let's go let's go figure out how you're doing from a from a value prop perspective. And uh, that's actually was part of the workshop I did this week in the broader context of straight talk. And um, we're going to bring some of those concepts uh, down next week as well. Start working with security leaders, and you'll love it, Paul. Right? Here's what we start with: What problem are are we trying to solve? Oh, I don't have it. I've got new business cards, and I put on the back of the business card. What problem are we trying to solve? <laughs> That's awesome. Because I was struggling. I was like, what do I do? I haven't had business cards for years. I've, and I realized that my resistance to it was stupid. And so, um, uh, so Trisha was like, Michael, let's get you some business cards. And we were trying to debate what to do. And I go, you know what? Paul always says I'm the aficionado of what problem we're trying to solve. Slam that on the back. <laughs> so those are my cards. And I, I thank you, Paul, for and the that, inspiration. Because it's amazing how much that resonates uh, with people. It's the right question. Now, here's what I'll say to people. It's the right question, and people resonate with it. But then when you sit down with me and you start trying to answer it, what you usually find is that we've compounded the problem too big. So my new thing is, is what problem are we trying to solve? The key is you have to isolate the, the root problem or the real mm-hmm. problem, uh, define it properly, and then elevate that. Um, so that's where I've been spending a lot of time. So like, to your point, it's a struggle. Like My struggle is I figure something out, we go to market with it, people get really excited, and then the market refines it for me, and I'm like, oh, this is where I can focus. And so I think, um, I think I'm think i on point. Like, I, like yeah. I'm cautiously well, excited that it's all come together. It's interesting, and, and you say that too, like you have to kind of isolate that, that question. Um, and John Strand and I have noticed that on Enterprise Security Weekly, when we read the marketing materials or really any material that talks about solutions for enterprise security or in enterprise security, John and I now, like, we have this fictitious conversation with the marketing people from all of these companies or whoever's writing the article. And we're like, you know, you know, you didn't get to the problem that you solved till like paragraph four. Like, you should really move that up to the top because we're trying to figure out, okay, like, what problem are you solving? And then the big question we asked this week on enterprise was, you know, like, how do you do that different and better than everyone else who's in that space because there are some crowded spaces here in security and so we have this like fictitious conversation with the messaging people who are messaging for these various companies so i i uh i yeah i look forward to jumping back on a conversation in one of these programs with you and john soon and, and let's talk about that and I'll, I'll give people a tip right now uh the the problem and the solution right the, the solution done right is the inverse of the problem which means if you can isolate that problem down, you should be able to ask it as a question or make a short statement, see how I agree with it. And then the solution is the opposite of it. Right. What I find most people, most people do, and most tech companies do is they want to sell me the process. I don't want the process. I want the solution. If you frame the problem the right way and your solution sounds credible, then I will ask, 
How do you do that? When you can do that, then you know you've got the problem isolated the right way. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, I think I said drop the mic, we're out. Drop the mic, we're out. That's this <laughs> episode of Startup Security Weekly. See everyone next time.